Today we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 24. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Lord, we believe and we know that you love us to have submissive hearts to one another, wives to husbands, husbands to Christ. And God, we pray that this message would be used, Lord, to humble us and to make us more like your Son. Pray that you bless the reading of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Larry. If you're a visitor here today and you just had that text opened up to you for the first time, you're probably tripping. Aren't you? No one will admit it. What we do here is we uh, do teach verse by verse through the Bible. We make no apologies for that for certain. Um, We happen to be in chapter 5 of Ephesians, verses 22 to 24, and this is the second week of a two-part series teaching verse by verse on the role of wives to their own husbands. Um, If you notice or if you've been coming for any amount of time here, even through the lyrics that we sing, The lyrics that we sing reflect God's glory. The lyrics that we sing focus on the sacrifice of Christ. And we're not here to appease man. We're not here to reflect the culture. By any stretch of the imagination, if you've been coming here for any time, you know that and it's very clear. We're here to teach the authoritative, inerrant word of God to God's people. That's what the church gathers for. Sinners... Saved by grace, by the blood of the cross, by the blood of Jesus alone, will you stand right before God. That's it. So, therefore, when we gather together, we come together the first day of the week, which is Sunday. That's the day Jesus resurrected from the dead. Send it to heaven. He says, I'm coming back from my church. We rejoice on the first day of the week over the finished work of Jesus Christ, celebrating that we stand righteous in his sight because of what he's done. And based on what he's done, we, as representatives of Christ, want to simply reflect that which he has given in his word to reflect. He says in Psalm 138, he's exalted his word to that of his own name. So we take his word very seriously. We do not care, I do not care, what the culture says or what's popular in the culture And then try to, oh, let's not make the word be too offensive to people. You know what? The word of God is authoritative. He is unchanging. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus, John 1 says, is the word. The word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God the Father is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's my role to teach God's word in its proper context. And I've had the blessing this week of teaching three different messages, three different places. And one thing I noticed, I was teaching this week somewhere else on the holiness of God. And I saw some disgruntled faces. Some people actually got up and left. On the holiness of God. That God is sovereign. He's the sovereign one. He's the one in absolute control of the universe, not man. As a matter of fact, God does not need any person. He has chose 
to use us for his glory. He has chose to lower himself to reach out, not only and save man, but to become a man. Jesus stepped out of glory and became a human being. Just so that we have our theology straight, Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, is not some man that we've elevate, elevated to be God. He's God who lowered himself to become a human being. The resurrection proves that he is indeed the Christ. Therefore, we begin our study in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 24, where we left off last week. And one thing's for certain, Scripture, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Okay? This here is redeemed, that means bought back, sinners saved by grace. Okay? If you're a Christian here today, you're a sinner saved by grace. We're the body, and we're to reflect the head. And we'll learn in a little while that if the body doesn't reflect the head, then there's dysfunction, there's problem, there's sickness, there's an illness. Jesus is the head of the church, and Jesus has always been the head of the church. The Pope is not the head of the church. The Pope has never been the head of the church. The Pope is a man, and every Pope throughout history is a sinful man. And unless a sinful man and or woman repents before the living God of the universe, the Bible says, unless a man be born again, changed on the inside, that man, that woman, will not see the kingdom of heaven. There is no pastor that is the head of the church. There is no organization that is the head of the church. Jesus Christ is the head. Period. And Jesus being the head has given us divine instruction as to our role as a body. And within that body, there's specific roles for men and there's specific roles for women. Thus saith the Lord. And, and I'll tell you something. In our text here, we see something that is very unpopular within our culture today. And it's verse 24. Take a look at that. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 24, simply says, actually, let's go back. Let's read the whole thing. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, okay, because of that reality, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be subject to their own husbands, not, some other, not somebody else's husband, but their own husbands, in what? Ooh, everything. Go sit on Larry King and push that one. And you will have the people who hate guns, they'll have guns in their hand chasing you down trying to end your life. That offends the culture. That is offensive to our culture today. And what many churches do today is they attempt to culturalize themselves so that they're not offensive and they want to make the word of God palatable. They want to, well, let's take out the tough stuff. This is tough. Our culture doesn't like this tough stuff. We'll just breeze over this one. Wives, think about, you know, learning your husbands is Christ love the church. Church is subject to the head. And they mumble, bumble along, right? Brothers and sisters, and I say brothers and sisters, I'll tell you something, brothers. We're going to get to men's role next week. Husband's role. We're going to get to the husband's role. 
But ladies, it is vital that women understand this key responsibility. And unfortunately, most women today do not understand this. And it's a shame when women who profess the name of Jesus Christ, women who profess that they believe that this is the inerrant word of God, do not submit to their husbands. It's very sad. Women within the church, now the world is going to deny these things, but it's when women who profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior begin to deny and fight against and resist this command, breaks the heart of God. Because it grieves the Spirit of God. And it's just another reflective fact that culture has been allowed to invade the thinking of God's people. Been allowed. You know, biblical thinking is actually rejected by many who proclaim Jesus as Lord. Many who profess the word to be God's word. What they'll do is they'll say, well, we'll accept this, this, and this, but this stuff, ooh, no, we don't want to go there. Take it all, take none of it, says the Lord. And in light of that, I want to quote noted author and theologian, Dr. R.C. Sproul. And he says, and I quote, Every single day we are bombarded by ideas that are pagan. The we as believers, okay? The we as the church. We are bombarded with ideas that are pagan. From kindergarten on up to the motion pictures that we watch, to the novels that we read, to the television that we observe, our minds are being bombarded all the time with ideas. Many of which get into our heads because we accept them uncritically. Nothing worse than a Christian who is not a critical thinker. I'm not talking about a critically spirited person. I'm talking about a critical thinker, testing all things, the Bible says, in light of the Word of God. It offends the culture. I had this pulpit made, and I had a guy put a big old cross on there to offend. Because there's one of two things that happens when the cross is in your face. The finished work of Christ. You either fall on your face in submission, or you in rebellion run out the door. So my hope is that one of the two takes place. My hope is that the first one, repentance, desire to honor and reflect the Savior of the word, world happens. But we think uncritically. He goes on to say, they don't realize that these ideas that we have been taught and that we are embracing are antithetical to the Christian faith. End quote. Absolutely opposite of, absolutely contrary to Christian faith. Yes, I believe. Yes, I believe. How does this happen? That's the question. How has that mindset infected the church? It's affected the church. Now it's infected the church. The church is sick overall because it's adopted and is continuing to adopt what the culture is doing and they're trying to reflect the culture. The pastor's job is not to reflect the culture. The pastor's job is to get people to think biblically by taking back, taking them back to the biblical culture when the word of God was written. The principles and the black and white truth are unchanging. People's sinful ways of thinking are unchanging as well. There's nothing new, Solomon said, under the sun. Amen? 
There's nothing new under the sun. And people begin to reject portions of the, of the word of God. God is dishonored. And God is not rightly reflected by those who so boldly profess his name. Sad. So with that being said, last week we looked at the manner of submission. And the context here is the matter of women, wives, that is, submitting to their own husbands. Now, we've got to understand where we started. If we begin in verse 18 of chapter 5, we see that the believer is instructed, commanded to not be drunk with wine, which brings forth dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So, meaning, a sinner saved by grace is commanded to be filled with the Spirit. We're able to be filled with the Spirit because the Holy Spirit resides in us. We're called to be Filled with the Spirit. It's a command. The result of being filled with the Spirit, verse 19, will be that they will speak to one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart as to the Lord. It will also be, being filled with the Spirit, will be result, the result will be, verse 20, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Oh, don't talk about the fear of God. Jesus is my buddy. Remember that? And again, go get the message from a couple of weeks ago. Jesus is nobody's buddy. He's holy God incarnate. That's who Jesus is. He's nobody's homeboy. He is Lord God Almighty. Lord God Almighty. So therefore, we want to take his word very seriously. Amen, brothers and sisters? And we rejoice in it, willfully desiring to submit ourselves to the authority of Scripture. So this matter of submission leads us to, now, relationships. A spirit-filled Christian, is we're called to submit to one another. We have our distinct roles. Church leadership has their distinct roles to serve the body, to feed the flock. And within the flock, you have relationships. You have husbands and wives. You have children. You have family. You have bosses. You go to work. You have people you submit to. We looked at all that last week. The matter of submission is very clear. Verse 22 she is to submit to her own husband as to the Lord. Just as to the Lord. The method of submission is verse 22 also. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So we have the matter of submission, and we also have the method of submission. Just as you would serve Christ, submit to Christ. Just as if you ladies were submitting to Jesus himself. But you don't know my husband. You really don't know him if you want me to serve, submit to him as Christ. Well, the, the principle we learned last week, again, get the CD if you weren't here. First Peter chapter 3 says that by submitting to them, even if they disobey the word, that without a word, they will observe your conduct, your lifestyle, that may very well be the cause of God using to transform their thinking, their sinfulness. You know, there's many women at council over the years who claim to be in submission to Christ, but they refuse to be in submission to their, to their husband. And if they're not in submission to their husbands, as instructed by the Lord, they can't be submitted to Christ. We also looked at the reason for submission. And we looked last week that it is as per God's design. We looked at 1 Corinthians 11. In every instruction of man and woman... And how God has designed man and woman to relate together goes back to the creative order and that God made man the head and the woman as his helpmate. 
before the fall. Before the fall. And you know what? This is, this is an alarming condemnation to those churches today who teach what's known as egalitarianism. And I spoke about egalitarianism last week. And what egalitarianism is, is that they will teach that men and women are equal in their roles. Okay? Now, does God look any more favorably upon a man than he does a woman? Answer, absolutely not. Does a sinner, sinful woman saved by grace and a sinful man saved by grace have any more favor in the sight of God than the other? Answer, no. A woman, when she stands before God, who's saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, will be just as righteous as is a man who's saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's called positional righteousness. Because there is no Jew, there is no Greek, there is no male, there is no female. We are all one in Christ. But yet at the same time, while we dwell here on this earth, God has definitely given the husband and the wife a distinct role. God has definitely given men a distinct role within the body of Christ to be the pastors. And it is very clear that women are not to be pastors. But egalitarianism teaches otherwise. That contradicts scripture and that is a problem. Problem. So people are crumbling in church leadership today to the pressure that is pounding on the door to conform to what the culture is doing, you see, so that we can feel good and go to church and just do what the culture is doing. No. No. We won't. So if you think about it, if Jesus is the head and we are the body, if the body's not in subjection to the head, okay, and if the body is unable to receive the signals from the brain to pick up that pen, drop it, and then pick it up again. If it's unable to do that, there's dysfunction within that body. There's something wrong. When the church does not submit to the head, Jesus Christ, as he's written, there's dysfunction. There's illness. There's a problem. When a wife doesn't submit to her husband as the head of the home, there's a problem. There's dysfunction. We're going to get to the men next week, like I said. So later on today, fellas, when you're sitting in front of your TV with your remote control and say, Woman, make me some popcorn and bring me a snack. Let me tell you something. If that's your idea of submission, you have the wrong idea, and you will learn next week what it is to be the head of the home. What it is to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Let me tell you what. You, you want to see where the weight is? It's on your shoulders, gentlemen. But nonetheless, ladies, that does not neglect the fact that you're to submit to your husbands. Okay? So we're, we're, Scripture is very balanced. Very balanced. Can I get an amen, brothers and sisters? So the mature women, mature Christian women within the body, are to teach the younger women within the body to do just that to be godly role models in their home, and to see a perfect picture of the character of such a woman takes us to Titus chapter 2. Go to the right, a couple books, Titus chapter 2. It's after First and Second Timothy, Titus chapter 2. Paul's given Titus instruction as to elders' tasks, roles, responsibilities of those within the body of Christ. And he says this, 
In verse 3, he says, The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanders, and not given to much wine. The only thing worse than a slanderous woman is a drunk slanderous woman. Very unattractive. A woman who runs her mouth and she's under the influence is more unattractive than just a woman who overruns her mouth and wants to argue and tell you you're this and that, you're not this and that. Not slanders, not given to much wine, but teachers of good things. So the older women in the church, the mature Christian women in the church, were to be teachers of good things. So this is a transitional statement Paul's making. It's transitioning right into this role of teacher for the woman. <clears throat> Are women to teach? Absolutely. We see it right here. We see it right here. Are women to be at the pulpit when men and women are gathered together? According to Scripture, absolutely not. It's just a distinct role. That's all it is. So these older women who have faithfully raised families and they've completed their God-given task are now to come alongside the younger women to train them up to be godly, submitted wives and mothers. Just training other women to do the same. It takes a generation of older women to teach the younger women to do it. And I'll tell you what. As Larry said, with all the women, pregnant women here, down the road, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, in this body, and as this body begins to grow in maturity this way first, and more people will begin to come like this, more people will become to have babies, and those babies need to be trained up, and the parents need to be trained up in the things of the Lord to raise those families in a manner that rightly reflect Him. So we're going to need godly older women to train up the younger women to raise those kids, amen? That's how it works. So, teachers of what is good. Teachers of what is good in the Greek is one word. And it means this. Teachers of what is good is to teach them what is noble. Teach them what is right. Teach them what is excellent. And this wasn't like a formal type of uh, teaching, by the way. It wasn't like a classroom setting with books and seminars and, 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 and someone lecturing. This was day-to-day, everyday life in the home. That's the type of teaching he's, he's, he's instructing them to, to give. Today we call it mentoring. Traditionally we call it what? Discipleship. Right? The shepherd's job is to feed the sheep. Healthy sheep, feed healthy sheep. Healthy sheep, reproduce, and they make more sheep, right? It's not my job to go produce sheep. I feed you truth, and you in turn go teach others. And then you see a maturity level within the body do this growth, becoming more and more and more like Christ. As we conform ourselves to the word, Christ conforms us into his image. We become more Christ-like. Discipleship. This is passing on virtue to the next generation of godly women. Notice verse 4, chapter 2, says, uh, teach that they admonish the young women. Admonish means to encourage. To instruct, if you're interested in the word, it's sophronizo. It means to train in self-control. Now, linguistic experts or experts of the language of the day, they say that in that time it meant this, to steady by guidance, to help firm up their life. Teaching self-control, self-discipline, sensibility, and prudence. That's, that's the meaning of the word. And there's nothing worse to see somebody reject this type of priceless teaching. 
It's pathetic. People stand with their hands on their hips. It's a big popular movement today, trying to get that down. This is the greatest responsibility of the older godly women within the body of Christ to train up the younger women to be godly as well. So that they can in turn grow up to be godly women to reproduce themselves within the body of Christ. And then you have generations of a healthy body that reflects the head, Jesus Christ. Culture will always teach that which is contrary to God. Always, always has, always will. It's an anti-Christian mindset, anti-Christ mentality. And the author behind it all is Satan himself, unseen forces of wickedness in heavenly places, implementing the ideas to nations and to rulers and so on. We're called to stand and resist truth of God, with the truth of God. Don't cave to the culture. Don't cave to the culture. Test all things in light of the word of God. Hold fast to that which is true. Self-restraint. Self-restraint. Nothing worse than a contentious, argumentative woman. Proverbs says that a continual dripping on a rainy day and a contentious, which means an argumentative wife or woman, are alike. They're both irritating. Proverbs also says that it is better to dwell in the wilderness than in the house with a contentious or argumentative, angry woman. Very unattractive, says the Lord. Say it, the Lord. And there's nothing worse than a lazy, unproductive, unspiritual man in the family as well, gentlemen. Self-control, teachers of good things. Now, the English word would translate different forms of this one word to, to be this. Balanced, sober-minded, steady, sensible, prudent, self-disciplined. And these young women are women who have families. They're able to bear children. They're married. And then the older women will come alongside of them, and that's who they would train. Now, this command to teach here in Titus, we're given a perfect illustration of how that looked in this day as we look at 1 Timothy chapter 5. So turn back a couple books to 1 Timothy 5, and we'll see how this looked then, and it ought to look now to some degree. Now, within church, within church, there's leadership structure that's given by God. Not by man, it's given by God. As I said, the Pope is not the head of the church. That is tradition made up by man. The whole Reformation, Martin Luther, and all those great reformers fought against that. They fought against the fact of putting man as the head of the church. That you would give alms, okay, money, to pray your loved ones out of perdition. Purgatory. Which, per perdition means hell. <laughs> okay, so, there is no praying anyone out of purgatory because there is no purgatory. Okay, it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Okay, if you're a Christian here today, you won't be judged for your sin. Your judgment was all placed upon Christ. God is a God of wrath. All of his wrath was unleashed upon his son. The innocent sacrifice, the sinless one. So if you're in faith in Christ, your sin has been paid for. Your judgment, paid in full. If you're a true believer, you can rest in that. That's glory to God. That's why we rejoice together. That's why we come together. 
If you're unsaved, you will pay for your own sin. If you haven't come to the place of a true repentant faith, repentance means to turn from sin, to have a change of thinking, to submit to Christ as who he is, he's Lord, you will pay for your own sin. So it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. You either be judged for your own sin or you stand in the place of righteousness. Jesus paid for the sin. Within that church structure, made by God, in 1 Timothy 3, means that you're right here. In 1 Timothy 3, verse 1, you see, you see this. It is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. Okay? First of all, the, the bishop means elder. It's synonymous with pastor. It's synonymous with teacher. Bishop slash elder slash pastor slash teacher. Okay? If a man desires that position, the word desire means if he has an outward, diligent pursuit of that role, and he's showing the discipline of it, he desires, another meaning, something within. Planted there by God, he can do nothing else to satisfy. So if a man who has that desire pursues it, and it's in response to a call from God, he desires a good work. Okay, And he, qualifications, to begin with, he must be a one-woman man. And he must be able to teach. So is it for all men? No, it's for men who God calls who are able to teach. Is it for a woman? No, it's for a man who has a bunch of qualifications that he has adhered to, and they're all right there. We don't have time to get into them. And then there's a reintroduction to the passage which the word, with the word likewise. It's verse 8. Likewise, deacons. Likewise, deacons are men within the church who help uphold the leadership structure. They serve within the body. The qualifications of their lifestyle need to reflect that of an elder. The only thing is they don't have to be able to teach. And then the next introductory, it's a reintroduction to the passage, which the word likewise in verse 11, likewise their wives or the women must be reverent, not slanders, and so on. So you have elders, deacons, and deaconesses, if you will, that serve the body. Okay. Now with that in mind, there was apparently another role for servants within the church that consisted of older Widows. Okay? And we get a little insight, a lot of insight actually from it, as we look at chapter 5 of 1 Timothy. First of all, Paul is telling Timothy, look, verse 1 of chapter 5, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with all purity. You got a problem? You got a problem? And every time you see a young lady, you lust after her gentleman, and you profess to be a, a, a Christian? Start looking at her as a sister. And you won't think like that. With all purity. Verse 3. Honor widows who are really widows. In other words, if a widow comes in and they need financial care because they can't provide for themselves, make sure they're really a widow and they're not just working the system. Okay? You know, people go around knocking on church doors, hey, and they give this big sob story, and, and they're too lazy to work, and all they want to do is just suck off of the church. And as soon as you figure them out, guess what they do? To the next church. And they make a living out of it. I've seen it many, many times. Men and women do that. 
Verse 4. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. So look, if she's a widow, first find out if she's really a widow, and if she is, see if she has family. Tell the family to take care of her before verse 16, so that she doesn't become a burden to the church when she has family that can take care of her. Okay? Verse 5, now she who's really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. She's definitely given to a focus for the church. She has an eternal perspective. She's praying on behalf of the church, meaning people. This is the church. This building is not a church. We make up the church. This is the body of Christ. But, verse 6, she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. In other words, wow, this husband died of this woman in... Yeah, she was showing up at church, but obviously it was only because of her husband, and she's living a wicked life, and as a matter of fact, she's living in pleasure to the point that, let's point out the fact she's dead while she lives. And before you come to faith in Christ, you are spiritually what? Dead. Who brings life to the sinner? The Holy Spirit. Jesus said, as the wind blows to and fro, you don't know what comes from, nor where it goes, so is everyone who's born of the Spirit. Unless a man be born again, John chapter 3, will not see the kingdom of heaven. That work is his work. Supernatural. Someone can talk themselves into believing. They can talk themselves out of believing. Someone's moved emotionally at some altar call or something. Their life never changes. It's a true great sign they were never saved in the first place. I don't care how much you cry. Verse 7. And these things command that they may be blameless. Because if anyone does not provide for his own household, and especially for those of his own household, he's denied the faith, and he's worse than an unbeliever. So the guy who's just simply too lazy to go to work, puts his wife out to work, and then in addition to that, she's got to do all this other work, he sits on his couch, I'm praying, I'm, I'm, I'm seeking God's will to find a job. Well, dude, you need to get up and go look for one. Okay? Jesus isn't going to bring someone knocking at your door, hey, you want a job? Oh, I've been praying. Now get up and go. Because if you don't work to support for your family, you're worse than an invalid, a non-believer. That's what he's saying. Okay, now he's going to transition from instructions of caring for widows into the role, the teaching role of an older widow. Okay, look what he says. Verse 9. But do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number and not unless she has been the wife of one man. Well reported for good works, if she has brought up children, if she's lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. Okay? What this can't mean is that if one woman is a widow and she has a true need and no one to care for her and she comes to the church and she is a Christian, that you give her this questionnaire. Um, have you brought up children? No. Sorry, we can't help you. Have you lodged strangers over your life? Not really. Sorry. Have you washed the saints' feet? Have, have you taken care of the itinerant traveling preachers in this day who would come into the home and you would wash their feet, which was a common courtesy because your feet would get dusty when you walked along the dusty roads of Palestine? Not really. Well, sorry, we can't help you. Okay, now we know it doesn't mean providing for the widows, but it, what, what it does mean is they had a particular list of those widows who were qualified to, Titus 2, teach. And this was the qualifications. 
First of all, they had to be 60 years of age. And in that day, women would bear children into their 40s. Okay? And if you bear children into your 40s, they're not raised up and trained up until you're like 60. So 60 was like a retirement age in this time, in this culture. So the woman, the widow, had to be 60 to be placed on this list of servanthood. And in order for her to be a servant, to be a teacher of other women who are training up families, this was these were the qualifications. If she has brought up children. Now, if you're going to train other women how to raise children, you have to bring up children. Pretty simple, right? If she has lodged strangers. Okay, here's a woman with an open heart. Here's a woman with an open home. If she has washed the saints' feet. And in that day, as I said, preachers, other church members, you would walk with sandals in the summer. Your feet would get dusty. In the winter, if it was raining, they'd get muddy. If you walk into someone's home, you would wash their feet. That's why Jesus took off his clothes, girded himself with a towel at the Last Supper, and he bent down and he washed the feet of the disciples. He said, I'm doing this as an example to teach you to wash one another's feet. No one would have had a problem washing Jesus' feet that night, but what they had a problem with in their pride, because they were arguing who was going to be the greatest when Jesus set up the kingdom, remember that? Their problem would have been with washing one another's feet. Jesus bows down and washes the feet of all of them, including, by the way, Judas Iscariot, who's in hell, the son of perdition. If she's washed the saints' feet, if she's relieved the afflicted, okay? Now, in this day, in the marketplace of any society, that was the busy place. That was where things were happening. It's Garnet Avenue, right? That's where the stuff was happening in your neighborhood. So people would take who didn't want their children, they wanted to abandon them, they would go to the marketplace and just drop them off, leave them. And in the culture, I found out this week, in studying cultures, I found out that they would take the little boys off the streets and train them up to become gladiators for the entertainment as they would grow of the masses. They would take little girls and they would train them up, take them to brothels, train them up to be prostitutes. A woman in this culture would see that, and a godly woman like this would recognize that, take these young kids off and place them in families that could raise them in a proper godly manner. If she has diligently followed every good work. So we get the idea? Get the idea that this was the qualifications of a godly woman to be put on this particular list to serve in this capacity. And again, the context is widows, and they had to be older to be placed on the list of service. Qualifications, just like an elders has to be qualified, deacons have to be qualified, women in the church have to be qualified to serve to rightly reflect the head. Notice what he says in verse 11. But refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry. They desire to remarry. Now, that would be a young widow, she was married, and all of a sudden she tragically loses her husband, and she's still young. Okay, now the first thing she's going to do is, oh my, my goodness, I could never find a man like this. I was dedicated to this man. I said in my vows, this is my man. I could never find anyone comparable to him. 
So they would go and make this rash vow. And they say, from the rest of my life, I'll never find anyone to compare to him, so I'm going to serve God, and I'm going to go from house to house, and I'm going to minister to other Christian families, right? He's saying, don't let that happen. Don't put them on the list with the older widows because they're still young, and they have natural, God-given, sexual desires that they'll want to fulfill, so they're going to want to remarry. And then they'll come to the place when they want to remarry, and time heals the pain, and time heals the scars, and they go, wow, he's not that bad either. Attraction, normal, amen? And they want to get married, and now they feel as though they're violating the spouse. So he's saying, you know what, don't even go there. It's kind of like this. You know how sometimes people will be in an emotional state of trauma, distress, or even um, happiness? And they'll say, man, I really want to serve in this area, and I want to do this. And someone who has a lot more wisdom, they say, you know what, I love you, I love your heart, but you're just not ready for this role at this time. Doesn't mean you won't be, you're just not ready. That is wisdom. And a lot of times, they don't understand it because they're caught up in the emotion. That's all he's saying. He says, don't put them on that list. That list is for older widows to serve. They have experience, they prove themselves. They are ready to teach Titus to other women. And look what else he says. Verse 12, having condemnation because they cast off their first faith, and besides, they learn to be idle. You know, after time goes on, they become lazy. And then instead of doing the ministry, they just wander from house to house. So we kind of see here what happened is that they would go from house to house. So instead of going from house to house, as the older widows would do and minister to the families and the other women how to train up their families, these young women would wander from house to house, and they would begin to gossip. So it says, look, they travel from house to house, they become busybodies, and they begin to gossip, saying th things which they ought not. So as they rolled into one house and you spend enough time in someone's family, you kind of see how things are around their house, and, oh, you're having trouble with your daughter? Hmm, well, I thought you were big-time spiritual. They go to the next family. Oh, this is great. How can I help you? Hey, did you know down? You know what's going on down the road? Or something spoken in confidence, and they break the confidence. Gossip. Are you a gossip? Think about it. Don't answer. Are you a gossip? If you're a gossip, that just simply reveals spiritual immaturity. And if you are, grow up. Come on, somebody. Grow up. If someone asks you to keep something confident, keep it confident. Don't pass it on. Even my wife and I serve in a ministry over the years. Someone will come to our house and they'll share something with my wife, and they'll come over weeks later and, they, and they'll say, hey, you know, this happened to me, blah, blah, blah. Didn't, didn't your wife tell you? And I go, no. And she go, why don't you tell your husband? Well, you told me not to tell anybody. And they're kind of taken by it, just assuming because we're married, that she would share it with me, and there's some things I just don't share with her. There's other things I have freedom to share, but there's other things I just don't share, even though she's my wife. Gossip? Grow up. Now check this out. The younger women also, you don't do it because they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, not only idle, but gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. Therefore, I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house. That's popular. 
There's a popular saying today, manage the house. Give no opportunity for the adversary to speak reproachfully. You know, Satan accuses the church daily. As soon as the church isn't rightly reflecting the head, it's accusation, 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 accusation. The enemy. For some, verse 15, have already turned aside after Satan. Here's what would happen. They didn't have that headship. They didn't have that protective covering of a husband. They began to get very free, <clears throat> wandering about without a husband, and they would slide into false teaching. They would become victimized by false teaching. I'll tell you this. In the last ten years of counseling men and women within the church, very, very few men have I had to counsel who were caught up or wrapped in to like a cult or some false belief system or some just kind of twisted mm, doctrine. Women are simply more susceptible to false teaching than are men. But men, they'll know the truth. They'll just straight up disobey. Okay? You know all that is? That is simply a reflection of the fall of Adam and Eve. Because listen, 1 Timothy 2.14. And Adam was not deceived. Verse 14, chapter 2. Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. You know what Adam did? He straight up disobeyed. And when God came, okay, now imagine, they were created with no clothes. I believe it was the holiness of Almighty God that covered them. The reflection of God's glory on them and their relationship with God just covered them. When they sinned, the glory, gone. Whoa, I'm naked. You're naked. In the first question, where art thou, Adam? Well, we were naked and we hid. Who told you we were naked? The covering, the glory of God was gone. Relationship severed. That's why you need to be saved if you're not saved. Because Jesus Christ came to restore the broken relationship between mankind and God. As God in the flesh. And as man towards God. So he did that double work again. Jesus came out of heaven to restore a broken relationship between God the Father and mankind as God. But at the same time he restored the relationship between man and Almighty God as man. Deep theology right there. So, we see the role of this older women, right? It's not for the young women. It's not for the young widows. They're not prepared for this type of ministry of chapter 2 of Titus. So, with that in mind, go back to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. By the way, ladies... If you say, you know what, I know I'm supposed to submit, I just don't love him anymore. I used to love him. As a matter of fact, I used to have the hots for him. And as a matter of fact, I have absolutely zero sexual turn-on towards him whatsoever. And actually, he makes me angry. I don't like him. I don't even like to look at him. Well, wait a minute. Are you a Christian saved by grace? Yes. Then you're in sin. What? You're in sin. Because you're commanded to love. 
And the reason that you can love is that Romans 5.5 5 says, Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us, which means we're capable of loving with his love. Love is not an emotion. Emotions, fire rockets, sky rockets, sexual hots and all that stuff is simply connected to, if it's not full-born lust, connected to love. The sky rockets will go away, youngsters. But the love, true love, will grow deep. So you will continue to have the skyrockets now and again, but not like when you first met with, that's all you think about. But I just don't love him, then you're in sin, says the Lord. Love is a commitment. Love is selflessness. Perfect love casts out all fear. I'm afraid to step over there and trust myself to him. Perfect love casts out all fear, says the Lord. So look at what this teacher, these older women are to do. Verse 3, chapter 2 of Titus. Older women likewise, that they may be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine. Teachers of good things. Now we got that down. That they, okay, in, order, in order that, they admonish the young women to do what? To love their husbands. This means husband lover. What it means, husband lover. To love their husbands, to love their children. That means children lover. Love your husband, love your children. Love, by the way, is a verb. It's not a feeling, it's a verb. It's an action, it's a command. Love, well, I'm not feeling it today. I'm not feeling like loving my infant who's crying out for breast milk, and I don't feel like breastfeeding right now, so let's just let her be. Come on, somebody. Also, what do we? What do you? What, what is the older women supposed to teach these younger women? Well, to love their husbands, to love their children, and verse five, to be discreet. Discreet means to be sensible, sound in mind. Ladies, listening to what the culture is barfed out will scramble your biblical thinking. Listening to what the culture is throwing up will scramble your biblical thinking. Test all things in light of the Word of God and hold fast to that which is true. Teach them to be chaste. That means teach them purity, sexual faithfulness in every way to their husbands. Well, I've never cheated. No, but you dress like you're trying to catch the attention of somebody else that's not your husband. So he's saying in every way. So I don't need to dress in a manner that will cause attention of this woman to someone else besides her husband. Culture will tell you otherwise. Chaste. In attire. Modesty. This means a healthy shame. A healthy modesty. A healthy blushing. Our culture doesn't blush anymore. Totally non-existent in our culture. Homemakers. Ah, oh, there's a refreshing word. Homemakers, that's what you're going to teach them to do. This means houseworker, a guard, a stayer at home. Very, very culturally unaccepted. Because the home, here it is, the context is this. The home is this woman's greatest sphere of influence. It's her greatest sphere of influence. It is her domain. It's her kingdom. When you come to our house, I'm the head of my family. That home is my wife's domain. 
That's her kingdom. I just pick stuff that get messed up in the kingdom. And I pulled a bunch of plants out that were messing up the kingdom yesterday and fixed a door that was messing up the kingdom yesterday and went to the dump that was cluttering the kingdom yesterday. It's her domain. Houseworker. This does not specifically mean scrubbing toilets. You're just there to wash the dishes. You're just there to do the laundry. All of that is part of it, but it doesn't mean that, that to be enslaved to the structure of the home. It doesn't mean, you know, remember in the 50s? Get out in that kitchen and wash. Get out in that kitchen and rattle those pots and pans. Remember that? Da 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 da. Doesn't mean that. It does mean this: that the home is her domain. It's her domain. Men, you are the head of your home. Women, you are to submit to your husband as the head. The home, the homemaker, the housemaker, the housekeeper. That's the domain of the wife. And you know what it produces? A healthy one? Much ministry. Much ministry. Oh, you won't get the accolades of people slapping you on the back too often, but great will your reward be in heaven. Remember, everyone's going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ as a Christian. You won't be judged for your sin. You'll be judged with a reward for what you've done on earth for his glory and rightly reflecting the head. I'll be judged for the condition and the maturity level of the flock that I teach. That's why I don't care what the culture's doing. That's why I'll teach the word. And like I said two weeks ago, if it's six of us doing it, as long as I'm teaching what's right, there'll be six of us doing it. Because the foundation is Christ. First Corinthians 3 says that whatever we build on that foundation will be either wood, hay, straw, right? When the fiery eyes of Jesus Christ looks at that and sees the motives of it, it'll burn and sizzle. You have no reward. But that which was built on the foundation of Christ, which was gold, silver, precious stone, the fire, those things stand. They only get refined, actually. And then the motive will reveal, or, or the, the standing of those elements will reveal your motive for what you did on earth to rightly reflect the head. So if, if a woman is focused on a career that exalts herself and she neglects her domain, it will be revealed in the day. I'm not going to strong army. I'm just going to teach scripture. And look at, look at the purpose, ladies and gentlemen. Look at the purpose of this in chapter 5. The purpose is, in Titus 2, these things, verse 5, in order that the word of God may not be blasphemed. In order that these things take place in order that the word of God not be dishonored by those who so boldly profess his name. It's not that complicated. You know, ladies, when a, when, when a woman has to, where she chooses to or is forced to work outside of the home, she has to submit herself to the authority of another man oftentimes. Okay? Context is wives here. And why is that you have to submit yourself to the authority of another man? Many times, most times, that man will be very ungodly. You are also having to surround yourself with very ungodly men who speak ungodly things, who, who, who do ungodly things, and then you're right there in the mix of it all. Oftentimes becoming callous. 
And because you have to be so consumed on pleasing that man, you can't please your husband and be submitted and committed to him. And then it begins to unravel the domain that God has ordained. Single women. Well, wait a minute now. None of this applies to me because I'm not even married. Right? And encouragement. Single women. 1 Corinthians 7. Just jot this down. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 34. Paul says this. There's a difference between a wife and a virgin. There's a difference between a wife and an unmarried woman. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy, both in body and in spirit, but she who is married cares about the things of the world. It doesn't mean the woman who's married cares about worldliness. Because it goes on to say, how she may please her husband. That's her primary ministry. The wife's primary ministry is submitting to the husband. And the home ministry, that's her role. That's what she'll be judged for. The single woman is free to serve in other capacities because she's not subject to a husband. But please, single ladies, when you begin to prepare yourself for marriage, if you end up getting married, please apply the principles taught today and last week as you prepare for marriage, okay? He says this, how she may please her husband, and this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. See, singleness in the Bible is a gift, okay? Marriage is a gift, for when a husband finds a wife, he finds a good thing. Okay? Most of us don't have the gift to remain single. Okay? We just want that type of relationship of oneness. Physically, sexually, mentally, emotionally. Some people are gifted to be single. And if they're gifted to be single, that's just what it is. It's a gift. It's rare. Some people have it and they can rejoice in it and they can remain single. If you don't have the gift of being single, you have the wonderful gift of marriage. And if you're in the gift of marriage, commit yourself to that role which God has ordained. Amen? Now I'm going to close with the words of a woman to show the excellent wife. Now Larry opened with this reading, Proverbs chapter 31. This is actually the words of King Lemuel. And the words of King Lemuel is the advice that his mother gave him. Proverbs 31. We're going to breeze through this because we're closing up right now. <clears throat> the words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. What, my son, and what son of my womb, and what son of my vows? In other words, what do you want to know, my boy? Verse 3, do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. In other words, do not fall into sexual sin. Don't give yourself to prostitutes. Don't fall into sexual relationships outside of marriage. Don't do that. That's a warning, she says. Verse 4, it's not for kings, O Lemuel. <clears throat> it is for kings. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who is perishing. He'll drink it, right? And wine to those who are bitter of heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty. 
Okay, a lot of people want to drink to kill the pains of everyday life, which we'll all suffer through. They want to kill the pain, so they get addicted, and they just drink, drink, drink the problems away, and only have greater problems tomorrow. You know? And remember his misery no more. It's all a lie. Misery comes back the next day. Verse 8, open your mouth for the speechless in the cause of all who are appointed to die. Oh, he could speak up for the aborted today. That's culturally friendly. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and the needy. Okay, check this out. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. Here's a trustworthy woman. Husband has no qualms, no doubts, no worries about trusting his woman. So he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She's like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it is yet night. She, she, she brings her food from afar. Bargain hunter. Out for a good deal. Double coupon coup cutter. She goes to five different stores to get grow. My wife does that. Five different places. I'm like, where are you going now? Well, now I have to go to Henry's. Where are you going now? And I have to go to Costco. Now I have bargain hunt. She provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. Okay? It is no mentality of, you know, hey, fend for yourselves. Everybody's their own man. Day after day after day. Sometimes as kids get older, you do that, but it's not fend for yourself, little one. Verse 16. She considers a field and she buys it. From her profit, she plants a vineyard. Here's a frugal woman who has some type of little home business and she's making little investments, buying a little something here, throwing it over here, making little investments. Very frugal, very wise. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms from work. Not 24-hour fitness addiction. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. She stays up late. She gets up early. She's a diligent woman who runs her domain. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hand holds the spindle. Spindle, weaving tool. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household. In other words, she prepares ahead of time. She's not worried about the snow that's coming. She's prepared. For all her household is clothed with scarlet. Not only do they have clothes to wear that she's made, by the way, and I'm not saying you have to go get a... You get the picture here. Not only does she make clothes, they're good-looking clothes. Scarlet. Picture of royal. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. She doesn't draw a bunch of attention to herself. She looks good for her husband. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. You know why he's so well known? Because of his woman. Come on, somebody. Because of his woman. She makes linen garments and sells them, supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She will rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household. That's her domain. And does not eat the bread of idleness. She's not lazy. Her children rise up and call her blessed. You know what? They may bow up against you now, ladies, but you raise them up in a godly manner, they're going to rise up one day and they go, my mama was the best. Verse 17. 
her husband also, and he praises her. He goes, I've got the best woman in the world. The other Christian says, no, I do. No, I do. No, I do. But they don't fight. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing. Okay? Beauty fades, ladies. You don't have to waste money on 15 facelift. Leave a good-looking corpse, right? But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. She bears fruit of a godly, of, of being godly. Being godly. I'm going to quote as I close one other woman. This book, Feminine Appeal, written by Carolyn Mahaney. I want to quote the lady who wrote the foreword, just a portion of it, by Nancy Leigh DeMoss. And she says this, As I survey the landscape of women and women's ministry in the Christian church today, I'd have to say that the view is both bleak and promising. There is cause for both grave concern and genuine hope. First, the bad news. So you always do the bad news first. Okay? Gospel means good news, right? You can't give the gospel till you give the bad news. Then you give the good. Amen? First, the bad news. Christian women, no less than non-believing women, in desperate need, are in desperate need of the truth. The look of frustration, pain, hollowness in so many eyes tells the story of women who are generally disappointed with life. They feel victimized, even traumatized by circumstances that have fallen short of their hopes and dreams. As far as they are concerned, life just isn't working. The problem goes even deeper than what is obvious at first glance. I believe that this sense of confusion and distress among Christian women is because, by and large, we are profoundly disoriented about who God is and who we are and about our calling and mission in life as women. Almost in mass, we have bought into a way of thinking about life and about womanhood, marriage, and family that is culturally accepted, politically correct, but fundamentally flawed. For sure, it has not delivered what it promised. But I said there's good news also, and there is. Everywhere I go, as I speak about the ways of God and what it means to reflect the glory of God as a woman, I'm greatly encouraged by the hunger and eagerness of many women to receive the word of God and to act on it. As has always been the case, God has a remnant. In this case, women who have ears to hear, who resonate with the truth, who are willing to make tough, radical choices to reorient their lives around the Word of God. Life isn't necessarily easier for these women, but they are experiencing a sense of purpose, joy, and blessing as they see the connection between their lives and the grander scheme of the purposes of God and the kingdom of Christ. Here's something else I found heartening. God has raised up in our day a handful of women who are grounded in the Word and understand the biblical perspective of womanhood, Women who are godly role models, gifted teachers, who are committed to communicate the truth to other women with courage and compassion. Most of these women are not high-profile individuals. They have not sought the limelight or aspired to positions of influence. Rather, they have spent years faithfully loving, serving their husbands and children and applying themselves to studying and living out the Word of God. Their influence is not the result of human credentials or impressive resumes. It is the fruit of godly living and sincere devotion to Jesus Christ. I dropped that last service, too. I really dropped that. But what I said last service to get out of it is that 
Godly women rattle me. In a very, very positive way. In a very positive way. And look, ladies, this is not some attack. I don't even know who works where, most of y'all. I don't know who does what. I don't know who's good at their home. I don't know who's submissive to their husband, and I don't know who's not. But I know what the Word of God says, and I'm going to teach it. My hope is, my prayer is, that each one of us, week after week, will simply submit ourselves to the authority of Scripture and allow Christ to conform us into His image, you see. And then we, the body, will reflect the head. And then we can impact the culture, which is contrary to Jesus Christ. That's it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this beloved body of brothers and sisters. And Lord, as a desire of mine to see the body grow, and it's been a great joy over these months to see men and women grow in the grace and knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ, through the teaching of your Word. Your Word is clear, Lord. The power's in the Word. It's your Word that's living and active. It's your Word that's sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts, it divides, it heals, it lifts up, it edifies, it exhorts, and yes, it does convict. So, Father, I pray for these dear people today, this wonderful body of believers. Call this their church, their home church. Lord, I pray for blessing upon blessing to be revealed to them, as is already promised in Scripture, that they would see that they are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I pray, Lord, for our lives to reflect your holiness, your glory, and the love that you've bestowed upon us through the finished work of your Son, through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And may they be blessed above measure as they delight themselves in you, and you give them the desires of their heart for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.